Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of How Did It Do a Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sayla Prack. Today, I am honored to be joined by Steve Rosenberg. Steve created the fastest growing property management company in the state of Texas, managing over 1,000 properties across three major cities. Steve built the company up and created maximum cash flow, positioning his company for a very profitable exit. Along with growing his property management company, Steve has flipped, owned, and wholesale hundreds of single-family homes and apartment complexes across the U.S. With all the success from real estate investing and property management growth, Steve has gone on to be one of the most well-known influencers in the real estate community. He is the top contributor to the bigger pockets, has been the guest, and collaborated on countless panels, webinars, mastermind, conferences, podcasts, as well as being a published author. So Steve, thank you so much for spending time with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate giving me such a glorious entrance to this show. So thank you. So Steve, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and take it from there? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is not being a real estate investor or a guru or a speaker, any of those things. My background was having a regular career, probably like many people that are on the show. I say regular. I was and I still am an international airline pilot. So I fly a Boeing 777, which is a jumbo oh, wow. international jet yep. all over the world. And I got hired. I was 25 years old and I had the best, most safe, secure job that I could ever imagine. Until a certain day in history, and that day was 9-11. And 9-11 hit, and I was furloughed from my safe and my secure job two days after the towers fell. And so because of that, I had to figure out what else I would do because I didn't know anything else. And I started turning to real estate. Didn't know anything about it, but it seemed like a lot of people were wealthy, and real estate seemed like a good path for me. So I started learning real estate started flipping wholesaling properties, started buying houses, apartment complexes. Like everybody, I had some successes and I had a lot of failures, had a lot of mistakes. I had a lot of problems, a lot lot of headaches, but I continued to learn from them. And my business partner and I started a management company for our own portfolio of properties. Uh, This is back in 2012, just to give you some Mm -hmm. reference of time. December 1st, 2012, my business partner quit his job full-time and we started managing properties for other people. Within seven years, we took that company, scaled it to over a thousand properties in three major cities, and then ended up selling it to a venture capital firm for several million dollars. And the whole time we did that, the business was running on autopilot. It was running without basically involvement. Because we built it the way airlines run on systems, structure, procedures, the way I was taught as a pilot from Boeing, how to deal with emergencies, how to have processes, how to have procedures, checklists. And that's how we built our company. 60% of our company was outsourced to Mexico, which brought our cost structure down, which brought our profit margins higher than anyone in the industry. And because of that, we were able to be a very 
we'll say a good target for acquisition. During that time, everybody wanted to know how does an airline pilot scale a company from zero to thousands of properties, multi-million dollar company, sell it and exit, which is very rare, mm-hmm. as you know. And the whole time, I still was an airline pilot. So I still had a job as a pilot the whole time. And I did that by my background of being a pilot with everything that I've learned. So I started speaking around the United States. I started speaking. I did tours throughout Australia, Canada, about what I do, how I show people. I did two years with the venture capital firm as a VP for them with 10,000 properties. Mm -hmm. And then when I was done, people started asking me if I could show them how to do it. So now I do consulting, I do mentoring, and I show people any business, whether you're buying a piece of real estate, a syndication, self-storage, it doesn't matter, commercial roofers, doctors, I show them how to build their business that is systems-focused, not Mm -hmm. people-oriented. And if you can build a business that's systems-focused, you can make it truly run without you. And that's what I show people how to do. Wow, that's amazing uh, background, Steve. Thank you so much for sharing that background. And it's very understandable. It's like 9-11 hit and then, you know, like a life-changing situation for you. But at the same time, why did you choose real estate? You mentioned that you see a lot of wealthy people like having real estate. But at the same time, like you pick something else, can be day trading or doing stocks or like do something else. But why real estate in general? You know, I really didn't know anything about real estate. I literally knew nothing. And I just started as nowadays, we would Google how to make money, how to make passive income, right? That's what everybody would do. We'd have these different Google terms, maybe chat GPT nowadays. Well, 2002, Google barely existed and YouTube didn't even exist yet. So I had to go to that building with books in it called the library. Had to get a library card and I had to learn how to basically find out Dewey Decimal System and stuff like that. And I had to learn how to read these books to figure out the strategy. So I read a book a week on wealth. Mm -hmm. And it looked like from what I could figure, everybody was tied to real estate. I knew I was going to continue to be a pilot. So I didn't want something like stocks, something that I had to be present for to trade because I still wanted to fly. And that was my dream. I still fly to this day, not because I have to, but because I want to. And so What I've learned is that if you can build something that runs on passive income, which is what real estate does, I just like that idea. And so that's why I went down the real estate path is because you could be a horrible acquisition person. And -hmm. over time, over 20, 30, 40 years, statistically, the property is going to write itself with appreciation. So I like that fact that there was a lot of barriers and bumpers to protect, we'll say, bad, bad decisions and bad purchases if you could sustain the down months. And so I just like that part. Got it. And you started your own company after you start doing the house flippings and ownings and wholesaling houses. Right. And you started your own company, a property management company and scale up to a thousand properties in a major three city within the seven years. So what are some of the things that really big challenges for you to start a company at the time? Well, The biggest challenge was I had no idea how to start a business. I was an airline pilot that owned investment properties. Owning a business is completely different. And just because you're a good operator or you're good at buying properties or numbers doesn't mean you're going to be successful in the business because a business is made up of marketing, sales, operations, accounting, IT, HR, and leadership. So there's six parts to a business. Mm -hmm. 
I knew none of them. I knew how to fly an airplane and I knew how to buy properties. So part of that challenge was understanding the linkage between all these businesses. I mean, I'm sorry, all these verticals in what's called an organization chart. Mm -hmm. And the next thing is you have to realize is there are people attached to those roles eventually. So you have staff. So we had a staff of about 25 people in my company. And that comes with a whole other set of challenges because people have challenges. We don't live in a vacuum. Every day was a learning experience, we'll say, about learning. You know, having a great idea is easy. Making it come to fruition and taking it to market in a sustainable fashion to have it keep running without Mm -hmm. you is what's hard. And so what I coach people on and what I mentor them on is that if you can't walk away from what you do on a daily basis for three hours or three weeks or three days, well, you don't own a business, you own a job. And it's probably a low paying job for the amount of time and stress that you're putting into it. The difference between somebody who owns a job and somebody who owns a business is one word, systems. You can put systems in anything, any business model out there. I don't care if it's real estate, self-storage, cotton candy, it doesn't matter. If you can systematize it, to make it run without you. And so that's what I've learned is the, that is the hardest part. Coming up with a great idea is easy. Mm-hmm. Sustainability over time to make it run without you. That's the hard part. Right. That makes sense. And so Steve, if you don't mind to give our listeners, you know, you're talking about running a business on autopilot by creating the system uh, processes. Can you for deconstruct, let's just say this is a real estate podcast, right? So if somebody is owning, wanted to start a syndication business and wanted to scale up that business and want to make sure that they can actually run that business while they're on vacation somewhere. So how does that work? Yeah. And listen, I mentor and coach a lot of very big named real estate investors that do syndications, people that you probably know on your show and people that are out there in the world that are personal friends of mine that I work with. The thing is, is Every single thing that we do, I don't care if you're buying one house or you're buying a syndication. I go back to those six pieces. You've got to learn how to market. You've got to target market for both the acquisition of the property and the acquisition of the investors. Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out who am I going after? If you're doing an acquisition for a property, what is that target property? And most importantly, for a transaction to happen, what problem are you actually solving for the seller? Are you solving a problem? If you're not solving a problem, there's no transactions going to happen. So if you think about it, marketing makes the phone ring, right? In any business, I don't care what it is, whether you have a rental property and you're looking for a tenant, you're flipping properties, you're doing a syndication, it doesn't matter. Marketing sends a message out. Somebody sees that and says, hey, I'm interested in what this person has to say. I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to fill out a form and I'm going to call them. That's marketing. As soon as that form comes in or the phone rings, Mm -hmm. now marketing has done their job. Now sales steps in. Okay, now sales answers that phone and through the sales step process, converts that person or that entity to being a client. Most sales steps have about 22 steps in a sales step process, give or take a few. But there's a sequential step in the process. So once sales does their job, and converts them to clients, now they become a client and it gets transferred to operations. Operations processes that order. And the whole goal of operations, they have two goals, the way I see it, Mm -hmm. is number one, 
they do a good enough job to get that person to buy again, meaning ringing the cash register, because when that person rings the cash register again, you're lowering your what's called your client acquisition cost or CAC. So if I spent $1,000 for you to call me, but you did two transactions, now maybe that goes down. It's not linear to 500, but we'll just say for ease of math, you split it in two. Now it's 500 for each time transaction that we did. So number one is getting a repeat customer. And number two, each of you, each of me is equal to 5.7 referrals. Everybody's equal statistically. So do you have a referral program that operations did a good enough job that they say, you know what? I want to refer you because if you were the target client that I was going after, let's say a syndicator, mm-hmm. and you were the person I wanted to invest, what are the odds that you hang around the same type of people that you are? You're the product of the five people. So why not find out, hey, who do you know that we could talk to that may be interested in investing in the syndication with me? Mm-hmm. So having a strong referral program based on your operations is also so repeat customers and referrals. The next phase is accounting. Accounting, make sure everyone is paid. And then on top of that, which is one of the most missed things of the whole hierarchy is leadership. Many people mistake leadership for management. Management is holding people accountable. That's not being a leader. A leader is someone who inspires you. You have a vision. You have an inspiration. You want to go to work because we believe in you And you are going to be the one that I believe is going to make me wealthy or give me the freedom or whatever it is because of your vision. Mm -hmm. That's leadership. And so, again, it goes back to it doesn't matter what you do. I could have just said the same exact conversation if you were a dentist, right? If you owned a CPA firm, if you were a doctor, you've got to get the clients to call you. You've got to convert them to being clients from prospects. Then you've got to process the order. Then you got to pay everybody. And I've been doing real estate for 20 years. The biggest challenge with real estate investors is real estate investors. They identify as real estate investors. They don't identify as business owners. When I talk to people all the time, I go to bigger pockets or other events and I'm like, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a real estate investor. No, you're not. You're a business owner. Your business just happens to be real estate, stocks, intellectual property, commercial pizza business. But when you identify as a real estate investor, you're boxing yourself in and that's all you'll ever be. That's just my opinion. You could say, Steve, you're wrong and that's fine, but this is what I've learned over 20 years of doing this. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes.
Got it, got it. Thank you so much, Steve, for going over the step-by-step of the process of how you actually deconstructing like a business, right? And making a great business. So for you also mentioned about leader. Leader have to have like visions and goal in order to lead your company to success of where they're supposed to go. So what are some of the characteristics making sure a leader is a great leader like yourself, like bringing a company to exiting, like successful exit? And you know, like what make a leader, a great leader? Well, I will say that I don't think great leaders are born. I think they're created. I don't think anybody is born a great leader. Listen, I was an airline pilot. I still am an airline pilot. I've been on stages with 10,000 people. I've made friends with some of the most influential people out there. They don't teach that in pilot school. So I had to learn that skill. I had to learn how to build businesses. So I don't think leaders are born. Let me just say, so anyone Mm -hmm. who says I'm not a good leader, that's just self-defeating on their own part. That's their own mental junk they have in their head. Anybody can be whatever they want to be. So with that being said, a good leader knows the vision. They know the destination of the company and they know how to communicate that vision. So one of the things I ask people, I won't put you on the spot, But when I mentor people or I coach people, my first question is, is what's the sale date of your business? Now, many people say, Steve, I'm never going to sell my business. I'm going to own this real estate forever and I'm going to pass it down to my children. That wasn't my question. I didn't say, what day are you selling your business? I said, what is the sale date? The reason that you have to have a sale date to your business is that in order for your business to be a fully running business on autopilot, It has to be a saleable asset, which means it doesn't run without your involvement. So if you don't have an actual date, and I'm talking a day, a month, and a year, then it goes into the someday file and it never happens. Mm -hmm. So when I mentor people and I help them in their business or their syndication, what is the date? We have to have a date because once we know that date, we work it backwards and we reverse engineer their life Mm -hmm. based on that. As a good leader, I need to know that date. If I'm running a company and I'm leading a company, I want everyone to know in June 1st, 2027, we are going to have a $10 million business with a 35% net profit margin where I'm working three hours a week. That's the business. That's very clear. It's very definitive. It's what's called a smart goal. Mm -hmm. So I know. So when somebody comes in and they say, hey, Steve, what are you doing? Everyone in the company should know. That's Steve's goal. And the thing is, is a leader, I don't necessarily have to convince you that I'm going to do it. I just have to believe it so badly and so passionately that you're like, I don't think Steve can do it, but you know what? He is so convinced. I got to believe him because he's so passionate about it. So I kind of got my money on him. That's a leader, in my opinion, because a leader inspires you. They get you charged up. It's a cheer leader, right? Think about it. You're getting them inspired. You're getting them fired up. You're getting them to want to come to work for you. One thing I've learned, and I've had a lot of employees, and I've coached a lot of businesses with employees, people will come to work for you because of a paycheck. They will stay because of the leadership and the vision. Because if they stay for a paycheck, they're just waiting for a better paycheck. And there's no reason that's going to keep them. So whenever I work with a company and I see a high turnover, I know there's bad leadership. It's a derivative. It's mathematical. I know exactly what the problem is. I can tell them. 
it's always them. It's them. It's them. It's like, no, 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 it's you. You're the problem. You're not being a good leader. So we need to work on your leadership skills. They think they have a customer service problem or they think they have a, a sales problem. They have a leadership problem because the team doesn't believe in what they're selling because they don't believe in the leadership of the company. Wow. That's great. So Steve, that's really great. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all those leadership characteristic, like to be a great leader and, you know, like you're leading your company to exit. So what was your expectation for the exiting the company? Were you originally thought that you're going to sell it? That was the original plan? Actually, no, I never planned. Our goal was not to exit and sell. We were actually building it to franchise it. We were building up the franchise model and we were going to license it in Australia and Malaysia. And so we were building up that system. We already had the infrastructure. We had the networks. We had the people in place. We were building it. And we had a company approach us. And if the check is big enough, you take the check, in my opinion. Everything's for sale if the price is right. And so the price was right. And so we sold it. But our goal was not to exit, to be honest with you. So, I mean, I wish I could say I built it to sell it, but I really didn't. Our plan was to keep it. But I'm very glad because I got to go through the experience of an acquisition, a venture capital firm understanding the Silicon Valley way of doing things and how money is moved, how much we put value on money and they don't. It's just a tool. you know. Money is just a tool and it's used for exchange. And I think a lot of times we are our own worst enemy when it comes to finances and money. Yeah. And Steve, I know it's very difficult to find someone who actually like successfully exiting a business, right? So if you don't mind, how's the process work when you're exiting, like the dispositions of a business? Just share with the audience if you can. Yeah, some things I can, some I can't, obviously. You know, for us, it was not as intrusive or as rough as I thought it would be. And the only reason was we had such a great operation that was running so smoothly. When they approached us, they were like, how are you guys doing this? You guys are growing exponentially fast. 60% of your company is outsourced in Mexico. You guys are growing and humming along. There's no chaos. You guys are all in control. It's running on autopilot. How are you doing this? So we said, this is what we're doing. Because we're getting ready to start looking at the franchise model, mm -hmm. we're already tightening everything up. You know, look, what they're going to do is they're going to come in after you sign a what's called an LOI letter of intent, and they're going to take a look at your books and they're going to make sure your books and your accounting is your report card. And they want to see, are you getting A's or are you getting F's? You know, and it was several months of them combing through our bookkeeping and our books of making sure that we were legitimate. And honestly, once we went through that, it was a matter of some negotiating here, negotiating there. It really was not that bad. Now, I've heard other stories. You're normally paid a multiple of your revenue, depending mm -hmm. on what industry you're in. You know, tech industries are one. Property management is, you know, everyone's a multiple of your revenue. Like I said, I would say they were very fair to us in what they did, what they said, what they offered. We got probably top multiple only because we were such a good running company. And honestly, we didn't need to sell. We weren't looking to sell. Mm -hmm. We were fine as we were. We probably would have been purchased by someone else because there were starting to be a lot of mergers and acquisitions. And I think we focused so much. So the way we ran our company was almost as if we ran two companies. I ran the sales and marketing side, the front end side. My business partner was a master at running the operational side. So he was the back end. So I was a true visionary. He was a true integrator. Okay. With that being said, as we went through this process of visionary integrator, we ended up 
basically it was almost like we ran two different companies, mm-hmm. but because I was speaking on stages all over the United States, I was speaking all over Australia. I was on podcast shows. I had a radio show of my own. We were so prominent and so out there. One of the reasons they wanted to acquire us was our brand and our name. Cause they wanted to say that they acquired us and we were their first kind of planting their flag, if you will, in the Texas market. So that was really part of the reason that they acquired us was our brand name. So for people that don't put value in building their brand, cause they say, Oh, I'm just a syndicator. You're gravely mistaken. I think every company out there, all of us, every single thing, whether you're Delta Airlines, United Airlines, Chevrolet, you, me, we are all a sales and marketing company. We just sell and market something else. And if Mm -hmm. your primary focus of your business is not monetization, which is the inbound part of sales and marketing, and that is not your key driver, you're going out of business. You just don't realize it yet. So your bank account says zero. Marketing and sales is essential to every business. And I'm a big proponent. There's three things you need to make a successful business. It's monetization, it's systemization, and it's duplication. If you can do those three things, you can grow any business. You miss one of them, it's not going to work. Got it. Got it. Steve, thank you so much for spending time with me today. So I, I learned a lot from you about running your business and scaling your business and also to making sure that you are operating your business on autopilot. If our listener wanted to find out more about you and your business, where can they go? Sure. First of all, my website, steverosenberg.com. It's R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. I'm on all the social media channels. If you go to Instagram, it's Rosenberg Steve, R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G Steve. Facebook, YouTube, I put out daily content every day. I've got a whole team that's pushing out educational stuff. I do masterminds. I do events. I do this. I'm here to help educate and help people grow their business to that next level. They know they can. They just don't know how. Steve, thank you again for spending time with me. Really appreciate you, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.